Dude, so what were you up to earlier today? Um, today I didn't really do a whole lot of anything. Honestly, Sundays I kind of try to take things slow. True. I am I am prepping for. Um, I have this gallery like group exhibition that I'm gonna be part of. Um, this upcoming Thursday, where that's when the opening reception is. So I was like revising my artist statement and whatnot, awesome. just you know pondering on that, but. You know, lazy Sunday for the most part. What is a what does a lazy Sunday look like for you? Um, waking up, uh, making tea, sitting on my patio, and I want to say something deep like journaling, which I do. I do occasionally write and journal, yeah. but you know, it's a little bit of doom scrolling a little bit. What is that? Doom scrolling. What's doom scrolling? Um, when you get in this habit of uh, when you're on your social media feeds and you just can't just help but keep going, keep going, you keep going, keep going. Dude, yeah, that must be something new I haven't heard. Oh, doom, doom scrolling? scrolling. Yeah, I don't know where the doom part comes from. I guess maybe because it's just like a bad habit. Like yeah. Well, yeah. I think I think the first time I heard that term was like in the midst of the pandemic because I think like. That was when I feel like my attachment to social media radically changed, like, because I was constantly wanting to get updates on what was going on with the world. Oh, yeah. And so, and then I heard the term doom scrolling throw out, thrown out there, so I assumed it had something to do with the fact that you were digesting so much content, most of which was not the brightest of things, you know? Oh, yeah. Because so, everyone's in their home. Everyone's in their home. It's all conjecture. Mm hmm Yeah. That and, like, you know, people getting sick and stuff so doom yeah right i yeah. guess that's doom yeah. scrolling oh yeah. my god the world's ending yeah I, but the, the, the term is just stuck you know because i guess there's just like this general association that like spending like like social media does not like have a positive effect on your men mental health it's kind of one of those yeah. like vices you know things that you can like dabble in every now and then but you shouldn't like overindulge Exactly, mm -hmm. and don't get confused with success on an app with success in your life. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? Yes, you can think that Instagram is the world. Yeah, like that is the world that everyone lives in. Like, yeah, I live inside of Meta's servers. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the whole world. It's a big part of the world. Um, it is. I mean, um, you got to be able to live. I guess. Well, I guess you don't really live in it, but you got to be able to take part in both to survive these days. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, people say that, like, it's like, you, you, even if you don't like social media and you hate it, like, you have to use it somewhat, and it's like... I mean, I guess it depends on what app it, you use. It also depends on what you're doing as well. Yeah, I guess as, like, I think that's something that, like, my friends say, because a lot of us are, like, artists and stuff, because, you know... I think it, with that, it's important, because a lot of what art is is visual and interactive, mm -hmm. I guess. And it's you, like marketing too. Yeah, like some people don't have to market themselves. Well, like if you don't market, I mean, if you don't have anything online about yourself, it's like how to like do they come to a, some random store where your stuff is? Like, yeah, how do, like how do they find you? you yeah, know what I mean, I yeah. Feel like, in my opinion, I feel like social media, or at least in the regards as to why I use it, is so that people can find you and think what you're doing is cool, and then connect mm -hmm. with you. You know what I mean? It's like to be found. Mm -hmm. 
not to change what you're doing, but just to be, because no matter what you're doing, there's some, there's a people out there that will probably like what you're doing. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? All you gotta do is find them. Like the types of social media too. I've always been like late to like every game. Same here. Yeah. Like, and, and a lot of my social medias other than Instagram, which most don't exist anymore, were like made for me by friends. Like, oh, oh you yeah. should get yourself a Twitter here and they like, make you one. Dude, or something like yeah. that. And I'm like, and I'd use it for like a little bit. And then I'm like, I don't really think I like have really anything interesting to say, for example, like on Twitter. I'm like, I don't really, it's not how I like like to engage with the world in a way. Right. And the only reason why Instagram stuck with me was because like way back in the day, I guess the the design philosophy of Instagram was it was supposed to be a lot like uploading Polaroids of your life, you know? Like right. These, and so I I took to that because like I like photography. Like that's that's the one thing I really like and enjoy, but things like Snapchat and Twitter, like I got rid of those at some, yeah, oh, I at got some rid point. Of, I got rid of yeah. Snapchat as soon as Instagram did stories because I was like, well, there's no point in doing Snapchat now. Yeah. Yeah, like also I was only like like using it with like two of my friends too and I was like, y'all can y'all can text me. <laughs> like, yeah, just send me the funny photo or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because that, that's a different game in itself. Mm-hmm. Pretty big on Reddit though, I guess. Like that's like something I use a lot, but that's like not even like social media because it's like anonymous and I don't really post on it. You know, it's more of like a aggregate website or like accumulating links and articles and stuff. Right, it's you like, can find things that are relevant to you. Yeah, it's more of like a tool and like like a forum. You know, so I don't really consider it social media, even though it's like it is a social platform and it's socially yeah. like dictated. Like there's a voting system and stuff. Oh, yeah, I guess cause people are like, this mm. is a relevant answer which, to this. Which is unique, too, because, like, you know, um, you know, like, Instagram only has, like, positive reinforcement, like, likes and sharing, whereas, like, Reddit has, like, downloading. Like, you can, like, negatively impact, like, a post's performance, which is, like, you know, I haven't really decided how I feel about that, like... Like, I guess that's like that's truly democratic, but also like can I feel like that can generate some problematic like behavior. People can like in aggregate like remove and censor things, you know, because you have the ability to like lower things on like the feed. Right, especially mm -hmm. like esoteric things or specific things, mm -hmm. and then you don't want the general public just being like, I don't know what that is, you know. Yeah, downvoting whatever they don't, they might not know what they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Well, cool. I think we've gotten a good start here. Cool. Hey everyone, welcome to the Nashville Artist. I'm Jordan, and today Michael Santoro is here. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, awesome. Mm -hmm. So, where are you from? I'm from here. I, oh. Yeah, I grew up like in Brentwood, Tennessee. Uh, well, I was born in like Ohio. And I was there for like three years, but those are the kind of years that only exist as like vague memories. So I, my, my core memory started here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You were born in Ohio? Yeah, I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then how old were you? Like you just, and then immediately moved here? Uh, yeah, I think I was like three when I moved. So, ah, yeah. okay. Yeah, no, I'm not from Ohio. I mean, I'm from Ohio, but I'm not from Ohio. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Do you have uh, any siblings? Yeah, I'm the oldest of three, so I have a younger brother and younger sister. Oh. Uh, 
we're each three years apart. What are their names? Um, my brother is Matthew. He's three years younger than me, and my sister Mia is six years younger than me. Oh, well. Do they also do art? Um, in a way, I guess, like, they're creative in their own way. My brother's, like, um, I'd call him a mathematician. I don't know what he would call himself, but he, stu he, he studies math, 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 mathematics. Very analytical. Um, he is, but, like, I feel like he applies in pretty creative ways. Uh, he is about to start a job at this company, MathWorks, and they do, like, math coding software. Oh. Um, but, yeah, he's, like, definitely got that going for him. Like, yeah, analytical. That's the way we put it in it. And then my sister, she's, like, I mean, she's six years younger than me, so she's still figuring out a lot. She's really interested in, um, the, like, TV production oh, yeah. in a way. Yeah, so, so she's really involved with her school's, like, media production facility. That's um, cool. Yeah, so I think, she, I don't know, it's like, I feel like my brother and I kind of have, like, two hemispheres of the brain covered, and my sister's, like, trying to wiggle in somewhere. Uh, oh, I see. Yeah. But I think she's, like, yeah, she's her own budding flower. She'll she'll find something unique for herself. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about your parents? Are they creative or... Um, my parents, my so my dad's a doctor, and my mom uh, was a nurse, and then now my mom, my mom works with like therapy dogs now, um, and then my dad recently retired, but he was working as a pharmaceutical research engineer. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. So, you know, <laughs> on the outside, probably no, not artistic. No, I but understand. I think there's creativity in some things that they do. Wow. Mm -hmm. I wonder if your dad ever interacted with my dad oh yeah my dad was a pharmacist really i mean yeah for like 30 or 40 years mm -hmm. but i don't know i i you know i my dad like you know he works from home or he worked from home most of the like the past couple of decades so it was probably behind the scenes more mm -hmm. or less, I yeah gotcha. they like um he like funds like research projects basically. Oh. Well that's explains your brother's very analytical mm -hmm. nature. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if like that that's something I think about a lot is like how I chose the path that I did, you know. It probably gave you a very keen eye and sense of awareness because mm -hmm. like having people that are like like that level of like intelligent in their profession probably just like naturally make things uh like mentally somewhat easier or like you know how to get in depth with things because they have such deep knowledge of what they know if that makes any mm -hmm. sense mm -hmm. no absolutely yeah i think like i think the, the way in which like i like think about things like mirrors like a lot of my siblings and my parents like it's like more of like the application that has like widely changed in like my family probably have a sense of like precision mm, yeah definitely definitely i guess like yeah precision as in like yeah you know, like process control sort yeah of thing. exactly mm -hmm. that probably was instilled oh yeah absolutely. and that came out in your creativity yeah I, I learned a lot about that like in school like how how yeah like I could be like a little bit of control freak at first because like until 
up until I decided to like really start pursuing artwork, I like was originally studying to be an engineer. And so there was a lot of like, like rigid sort of um, lines of thinking for how you had to do things, you know? Oh, yeah. And so I feel like I carried that with me at first into my artistic process. Um, and I've like shed a little bit of that over time, but I think I still retain a little bit of that. Like everything's like, an equation. Yeah, in a way. <laughs> yeah, like, and I, I think like I've learned to channel that in the in the parts of my craft that matters, like the technical aspects of things, like lighting, um, like you know how much lighting, you know, how we're going to diffuse it, and stuff like that. But I've learned to kind of keep it out of the more metaphysical conversations I have with myself about what the subject matter means and whatnot. Those aren't things that you can really formulate in something like. I can't. I can't put that on engineering paper and give you like a, an equation. But. Like, well, I'll like without drawing the picture, mm -hmm. you'll be able to see what the picture is because I'll write it on paper. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, that doesn't really translate the what you see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the other thing too is like, so it's funny. Like when it comes, well, a lot of people think of like, like when they of storyboarding visual artwork they think of like pictures you know like mm -hmm. little cartoon drawings um one i'm not very talented at drawing so i don't i typically i, I don't draw uh my storyboards they're usually are they, they, they look very formulaic like oh, i do yeah. write write things out in like like a, like a sort of like a bullet point notation where things like channel in on like singular subjects um but yeah like i feel like my storyboarding <laughs> would look more like an engineer's notepad than it would like a storyboard artist for a, a film or something right. like that. Yeah. But it, it, it's how you understand it. Yeah. It's yeah. how I, how it's I for you. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. 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 Awesome. So what were you like as a little kid or what were you into as a little kid? Well, like you get different answers asking me versus like my siblings but like i i um as a kid i was like pretty introverted um i mentioned that i grew up like in brentwood and brentwood has sort of like a monoculture like 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 um one line school system like ever like like the there's like, yeah, it's very monoculture. And so I didn't realize until later in life that I just like didn't really fit in that well with like what the standard was set as in Brentwood. But um, I, yeah, I, I mostly kept to myself. I loved like video games, I loved reading, I loved writing. I would like write little short stories and stuff when I was younger. My parents thought I was gonna be a writer or journalist at first, and they would push that upon me. Um, and I, my brother and I loved like exploring like wilderness and stuff. We would like hike and, and build like little forts and whatnot. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mostly kept with like myself and my brother. My brother and I were really, really tight. And then when my sister came along, I don't know, we really stuck together as a family unit, you know? Mm. Wow. Mm. What did you like? How many acres did you live on? Or like, was there woods close to your house? Um, I don't remember how many acres, but there was like, yeah. So there was like a, there was woods like right behind our house. Oh, so nice. yeah, like just walk out into the backyard and 
what kind of forts would you make like oh you know like in the image in, in the mind's eye it would like probably seem like some sort of giant castle made of like sticks and twigs but i'm sure it was just like i'm sure we just put like tarp over a tree that fell over and called it a day but like in my mind and we had like these like elaborate little like board structures and multiple different rooms and stuff um yeah and we like would invite the neighborhood kids out there and whatnot wow mm -hmm. yeah that reminds me of we had woods next to my elementary school and we'd go into the woods and like <clears throat> they go like there would be all these creeks and streams and we'd build bridges across them mm -hmm. and like cut down trees and mm -hmm. hack up the wood and mm -hmm. tie ropes to like wood together and mm -hmm. yeah it was yeah boards were a huge part of my childhood mm -hmm. cool so you're really into forts as a little kid what kind uh, of books did you read when you were a little kid um i think it was mostly like non-fiction my grandfather worked for national geographic oh wow yeah so we would get those like all the time and not only like the magazines but also those like special edition books they would do about certain topics um i was mostly obsessed with the illustrations but um yeah i just love reading about like places and different parts of the world but definitely definitely mostly engrossed by the photography like in the magazines and stuff yeah mm -hmm. what um what video games did you play as a little kid um so I got like, I didn't have like a console or anything when I was a kid. Uh, we had like a family computer. And so I would get like these little like, you know, we used to be able to get like PC games on disc in stores and stuff like that. Right. And I played so many miscellaneous things, like little, like there's like these discs you could get that would come with like 50 mini games on them and stuff. But eventually, I got this thing called the Orange Box, which was like a collection of video games from this company, uh, Valve. And it was like these, like, it came with like these, like, sci fi video games called Half Life. Oh, yeah, I remember Half Life. Yeah, and then came with like Counter Strike and Team Fortress 2. It was like, it was all these video games built on the same game engine. Mm. Um, but I just like really got engrossed with those because it was my first time playing like a, like a 3d like first person interactive game like which really engrossed me because i was like i mean whole a whole world basically in in my computer you know and so i, I quickly became like obsessed with those and my brother and i would like play them like all night and stuff and but those i, I loved like that's what it kind of like launched my like love of like science fiction was like through stuff like that a big sci-fi nut. Oh yeah, what's your favorite sci-fi movie? Um, or what did you like as a kid? As a kid, well, so I, I love sci-fi and I love horror because I, when I was really young, my mom and I and I well, yeah, my mom and I watched the movie Alien together. Oh, yeah, yeah, and so like maybe like that imparted like a little bit of trauma on me, <laughs> but at the same time too, I just really loved like this idea of like just like people lost in space on this like dark voyage and, oh, and God, yeah God. on different planets also the design of like the alien was like so foreign and 
Like I never seen like a monster that looked like that before. Um, I like that, and then I'll, uh, I was into I was into Star Wars. I like Star Wars a lot. Those are the classics. Um, never got to Star Trek. Um, Star Wars. Did you watch one, two, and three? I watched all of them. Uh, yeah, I've seen yeah. all of them. I mean, I haven't seen the new ones. I kind of. But I mean, like one, two, three, four, five, and six mm-hmm. when we were kids. Yeah, like those were the new ones. Yeah, the new yeah. like the prequel ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw. I forgot. I think I saw like the third one in theaters. Revenge of the Sith. Um, the one where like Anakin becomes Darth Vader, like yeah, Revenge, Revenge of the Sith. Sith. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that came out May nineteenth, two thousand five. I saw mm-hmm. it the first day it came out. I think I was like. I forgot. I, I forgot if I saw in the theaters or not because remember I was like just at the age where like I would have to have gone with my dad and stuff and like I forgot if he was like chill with that or not. Oh uh, yeah. Because I, I remember like that like that movie was like PG thirteen. Yeah, exactly. Right? Or Star Wars that was PG. That's yeah. That's what it was. I was like, man, there's something about that movie that was like I, mean, well, I don't want to use the word controversial, but it was like it had to be. I mean, it was yeah. yeah. Which you know, I, I watched it not too long ago. And it's like it was pretty graphic. Like honestly, like the scene where he gets his like limbs cut off and he's yeah. like on fire too. Yeah, and then there's reconstructive surgery on him. Like, yeah. I was like, that's like it was like just that scene. That's probably why it was PG thirteen. You know? Right. That yeah. He's like, probably fought for it too. I bet you it was like gonna be R or something, but they had the money to get it down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just at the end when he's like, I hate you. Right, right. Like yeah, this is definitely not PG. <laughs> no, 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 no. But yeah, like I think like you know, video games were like a big part of like my childhood because of like the escape they offered. Like, um, like I was mentioning earlier, like I was really introverted as a kid, and I quickly like got into like online video games. So like. Cause it was weird. Like I was introverted in my, in school. Like I didn't like, I didn't really, it wasn't like the best at making friends and stuff, but like, I was like really social online on video games. Hmm. I love talking with people online. Like something about the anonymity just like removed a lot of my fear. Yeah. My anxiety and stuff. Wow. What a console was that? like? What's that? What console was that? Or you said it was on the computer. Mm, on computer. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Cause Counter-Strike was huge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I still play that to this day. Yeah, my friend, my brother's friend's brother would go over to their house and he was always playing Counter Strike, and he was always like showing us these different maps that people had created. Yeah, where they had like rigged the game or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was like so, like the whole like Source Engine, like where these games were built on. Like I really. I don't know, like, I feel like it, it, it's still to this day, it might have, like, an inspiration for a lot of my, like, aesthetics that I like when it comes to, like, liminal spaces and stuff, because, like, the, although it was groundbreaking at the time, but, like, the the way in which, like, that engine has shown its age is specifically in, like, these, like, out-of-bound sceneries, like, like, the landscapes and the backdrops to all these, like, levels you're on are, like, super, um, um, low fidelity and flat and have this really like eerie sense to them when you take them out of the context of like the immediate level and i you know when i was a kid like i loved like i loved like breaking the game like i love like finding ways to enter cheats where i could like fly around and get out of the level and stuff 
just because like I mean I only had the one game and I beat it so like what else can we do with it you know just like take it apart and yeah like flying out of bounds of the game and just seeing all these like unused assets by the developers just kind of like floating out there that was like I don't know it was like eerie but I felt like it was like Easter egg hunting like us finding these little like yeah. special secrets like scattered around the game dude yeah that reminds me of I remember I used to play Halo co-op mode with one of my friends he's like dude I can show you a secret place and it's the snow level on the first one and you jump off the bridge and you can like scale down the cliffs yeah, yeah, and get yeah. to the bottom and like bypass half the game. Mm-hmm. But and it's like, it's like in that journey, it's like you're taking the scenery and it's like, you're not supposed to see this. Yeah. Or it's like, you're supposed to see it, but maybe like in your periphery. Not you know? from that vantage point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you're not supposed to jump off the bridge and mm-hmm. still survive. You're supposed to kill you. Mm-hmm. But since you're down there, you see all the weird. That's like that's a good aspect too. It's like it's supposed to kill you, like in the game. Like you're not supposed to get here, and a lot of times, like the the consequence is death. And so it's like maybe that ca- that's like why it was so eerie because yeah. like, it's like I'm not supposed to be here. That's like that is kind of like encapsulates a lot of like what I try to chase in certain aesthetics of mine oh. is like the idea that you're not supposed to be here. You know, mm-hmm. um, mainly for my like landscape work that I that I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, Counter Strike. That's like the original Call of Duty, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I love that game. I play it a lot to this day. It's like got such a long lineage. Do they? Do they just like update the graphics? Uh, they are. They not frequently. No, it's really like one of those games that like just kind of is like, you know, like they kept it the way it is. Yeah, I mean, they'll do, like, quality of life things, and, like, the graphics have changed slowly over time, but, like, the most of it's remained relatively unchanged just because it's such, like, a purist game. Like, there's not, like, all these fancy things that, like, all these modern video games have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, crazy destruction and helicopters and vehicles. Like, there's none of that, like, which I, like, has made it popular. I remember playing this very arcade game when I was a little kid. It was called Tibia. It was, like... There, yeah, for its time, it was lo-fi or like low mm. quality, but that's what the charm was of the game. Uh-huh. And they didn't change it. And mm. I always respected that. It, 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 it speaks to the testament of it, like through time, the fact that like you can change so little, and like even though people's cultural tastes have changed over time, like yeah. it still remains popular. Yeah, I mean, it had like a cult-like following. Mm-hmm. It was a really. It was like a. RPG it could be like a paladin or wizard or whatever and mm. go around this world and kill things and collect things and sell things and trade and mm-hmm. but it was like all like everything was like a square like you'd move up a square move over here's a square oh, you know I what I mean everything was like very I don't know segmented yeah you would yeah. only yeah. you could you couldn't move diagonally, really. It was like, go this way. Mm. Yeah, there's no getting out of bounds with those kind of things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like someone can block you in, and that's what, what happens. Mm-hmm. Is like, if there's an enemy, someone could stand in the way of the door, mm-hmm. and then you can't get through, and then you, you get killed, and then they take your loot. <laughs> so it was like online, too? Yeah, it was oh, online, okay. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love, like... Yeah, it's crazy. Like I was like so antisocial in school, but there was like... These games that like, like there's this game Gary's Mod, where like 
it was sort of like so that's the thing it was like it was like a it was a sandbox game like oh yeah you know like it's just like very open-ended you can build games with inside the game and these like this one game that became popular was like sort of like one of those so those things that became very popular now with these like games that kids are playing called like among us and stuff like that these like social deception games where like you're trying to like achieve a task but like not like let anyone in on the fact that you're trying to achieve it like you're trying to kill all the other players but like not but do it in secret and try and like it's almost like there's like detectives and then there's the murderers and you're trying to like it's almost like a it's a it's like a live role play uh clue that's like what it is Um, and i really like that like i loved like role playing like i loved like talking with these people and like trying to like fit in like it's almost like my like my analytical brain was like trying to like study how to fit in like in a way like was like taking a very analytical approach to socializing in a way on the game yeah like maybe and like that was like <laughs> retrospectively thinking about it, it's like is was that just me like practicing like how to socialize <laughs> or something i don't know maybe yeah. yeah wow so what first got you into photography or art how did you start out mm-hmm. well Especially the actual act of like taking photos with the intent of like creating artwork. Like, I got my first like dedicated camera when I was like a freshman in college because that's when I was, I thought I was going to be an engineer. Um, but I was pretty stressed out and dissatisfied with like how that, um, yeah, like I, I wanted a distraction from like my studies because they, they were really overwhelming to me. I hadn't learned at the time that I wasn't really cut out to be an engineer. Uh, or I wouldn't say cut out, but it wasn't what like my passion was. And so I picked up, I wanted to pick up something on the side. And I was always drawn to photography um, through, you know, growing up with National Geographic and stuff like that. And so I decided to get a camera and I was like, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, that's actually why I made like an Instagram is I was like, Oh, like I'm going to like, just like have a little photo diary, you know? And so I started doing that. And then I started like at the same time, also getting really into film and like movies and stuff. And so basically that kind of like those two like passions grew together, my interest in film and my interest in photography. And um, I guess eventually they like budded to a point where, they i don't know my like my passions and my interest for it got so strong and then i was introduced to people that were pursuing it professionally um at least like studying it in school and i was like oh like you know maybe that's why i'm not satisfied with what i'm doing right now is because i'm just, I'm just not doing the right the, the thing that i want to do and so i with the encouragement of my friends i switched my major into uh, cinema studies and uh <clears throat> at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. And um, and then there I like concentrated on like specifically cinematography, which was like kind of like what I thought was like the blend of the two. You know, I love photography. I love filmmaking. Like that's how I blend the two together. All right. So it wasn't until college that you... Yeah, it really wasn't until college. I mean, or did you... I mean, I made like home videos when I was a kid. Like I had a camcorder and stuff and... Um, what did you do like in middle school and high school? Did you do any pursue any art 
artistic stuff then? Or? Um, you know, I, I, I dabbled in so many things. I tried music. I played guitar for like a little bit. Um, didn't really take to it. Um, I liked writing. I liked writing short stories and stuff when I was in middle school and high school. Um, I, I really enjoyed my English classes, learning about the art of the personal essay and so on and so forth. But I, the, the culture in which I grew up, like in Brentwood wasn't, um, at least for me, like the most, um, nourishing nourishing for artists it was very much so felt like a pipeline for like you know people in stem or in business and so i felt like i kind of like kept those things on the back burner like maybe they were like growing inside of me on like a very deep level but i yeah i never really like looked at it like directly in the eyes as something that like was a passion of mine until I like left that like bubble and that atmosphere. Oh uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. When they're trying to like keep you on track. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was such a rigorous, like, I mean, for like a high school, like, yeah, I mean, it was rigorous. They call themselves like a, like a public school, but it felt more like a private school. Oh really? Mm-hmm. What was that school? Uh, Brown middle and Brown, uh, Brown high school. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I, yeah, I, I felt like I just felt like you know I knew I wasn't fitting in, but because it's all I knew, I just assumed it was like there was just something wrong with me. Like, oh, it's my, it might just be because I'm not good at socializing. Like once I go, like I, that's what I need to work on. It's not that I haven't found what I'm passionate about and it's not being nourished. It's just that I'm not good enough at the things I'm supposed to be good at which I thought was like engineering and computer science. And so that's why I came, I came into college with that attitude was like, okay, like I got to get on this. I got to fix this. Like I'm supposed to be good at this thing, this stuff and I'm not. And so I kind of like my transition into photography was like almost through like a, like a breakdown of character, like a mental breakdown almost. Cause I was like, I, it got to the point where I was like, I was hitting rock bottom. Like I was doing well, my grades are well, I mean, I was like, I, I had, I was all A's like in all my engineering classes, but I just like, I was so stressed and I was so depressed and I was like, I was like, well, none of this makes me happy. And it seems like it's only getting worse. And then like, it wasn't until someone kind of like, you know, my friends like took my head and turned it a different direction and we're like, look, there's all these other things you can do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're under the influence of someone. I guess correcting that or because you, like mm. you said, you can see all these other people doing it. Yeah. Like my roommate at the time, like my, like, you know, one of them was doing graphic design and like uh, a couple of our friends that we made were like, or that I made were like really into filmmaking. That's how I found out about the filmmaking program. I was like, but you know, it took a while. It, t- it, it took the breakdown of the self for me to like even start putting the pieces together in a new way. Cause I still had all this like foundational sort of like, um, like baggage that I had to like get rid of before I could start pursuing something else. Cause, and I, and I, maybe I didn't completely get rid of it because I still to this day, maybe not so much now in this moment, but like for a while, even like through college and afterwards, I was like, you know, battling with this imposter syndrome that like, you know, like I'm going to be a failure because I like didn't stick with what I was supposed to stick with. You know, there was this, 
this was this pathway laid all out. All or nothing. Yeah, it's, I have a very like all or nothing sort of like mentality sometimes, which you know, I feel like I've been able to like tackle that and get better at um, through time. But it definitely was like a inhibitor. Living by absolute. Yeah, uh, like what, Star Wars, like, like yeah. it's like a Sith. Always Sith. Yeah, like a Sith. Absolutely. Yeah, had that Sith at a mindset. <laughs> for breaking that down now, but yeah, no longer dealing with absolutes. Well, trying not to dealing in absolutes. Yeah, yeah. only Sith deals in absolutes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's everyone that says that. Yep. Yeah, I think it was. I think it's in uh, episode Third three, one, right? Yeah. yeah. Man, maybe that episode did give me some trauma. Man, I like really. Man. <laughs> yeah. That impacted the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. At one point, I was like, maybe I should scar my face. <laughs> yeah, because it looks cool. Yeah, because I was like, Anakin's got a scar. Mm. And I was like, that would be really cool to have a scar. Like, you know, yeah. yeah, no. Who's, who's the, the actor that plays? Hayden Christensen. Yeah. Did he just kind of like, did he just like fall off the earth after those Dude, movies? Like, he had so much, he talks about how much pressure he had behind, like for him to play Anakin. Mm-hmm. And like he wanted to play Anakin, he thought it was an honor. But mm-hmm. then there was like all this backlash about how bad he portrayed Anakin. And then like he, like, he became like a nobody to one of the most famous actors because he played this iconic role. And he said, it was so much pressure that I bought a ranch in Wyoming and then disappeared for a while because it was so intense being in the, in like the limelight like that. Mm-hmm. He said it, he couldn't handle it. So yeah, he disappeared. He didn't want to be seen. Wow. That's intense. Yeah. He, he said it was awesome, but he was like, man, it was so, I mean, like, you couldn't escape, you know. Well, yeah, it's kind of like what we're talking about, like, you know, like, he... When he also didn't feel worthy, because he was like, oh, my my co-star was Natalie Portman. Yeah. He thought that she was, like, way better than he was, yeah. and, like... Right, kind of like, I mean, he really succumbed to, like, imposter syndrome. Yeah, and Ewan McGregor. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you have all these other, uh, like... Um, uh, Samuel Jackson. I mean, mm. Star Wars had a lot of big actors in it. It's like crazy how the mind can like invalidate itself. Like you know, he it's like you're surrounded by these A-list stars because someone deemed you good worthy, enough, yeah. worthy. But like the mind perverts that into like, oh, like I'm going to let all these people down. You know. Plus, you're only like. 22 or 23 years. Oh, is he that young? Oh, yeah, my something gosh. Like that. Yeah. I mean, he might have been like 24, 25 by the time third one rolled around, but... That's crazy, like, how young some people get, like, started in that industry. God. Yeah. Yeah. It can... I mean, yeah. I find it, like, it can be, like, being very predatory sometimes. Well, being that young and being that famous. Mm-hmm messes with you mm-hmm. it's like one thing if you get famous when you're like 35 30 35 years old you have your social network set up. and you have your sense of self developed yeah and you kind of have your own values and principles with what you live by but when you are so developing and you're only 22 years old you become like the biggest jerk in the world because you think you know you're 
yeah i've always had my gripes with like child like childhood acting because it's like you know like you said like they're developing a personality and i feel like that's why it seems like sort of predatory because it's like the, the almost like the industry is like we can make you the perfect actor because like we're literally shaping you as your your brains for me it's like we were talking about before we started recording like about like the plasticity of the brain and stuff like right. just like you know they're like trying to capitalize on that almost like you know why right. they're young I, I, I don't know it's coming from someone who like you know, i love film and like i still like i feel like it's like my inspiration for like how i ta- like attack tackle my photography but it's such a complicated like culture and with, with a long lineage of like drama and abuses and stuff yeah and it's also yeah using young people it's like you need a young person for it but it's mm-hmm. like there'll be consequences for this child you know mm-hmm. maybe they'll lose their innocence too early did you ever watch that um the tv show recently uh what was it called the rehearsal with nathan fielder oh i love nathan fielder yeah i haven't watched all the rehearsal like it, I, I, that show was awesome i really i feel like that was it was sort of like a kind of got into like a meta-analysis of of that like you know a kid growing up in sort of like this staged reality you know like it's so it can be so damaging yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i don't which you know maybe it's like you know like that's like you know growing up in like a sort of community that i did it almost was sort of like this staged reality in the sense that like in the sense that like your life is predetermined yeah your life is predetermined and it just doesn't match like what the obstacles you're actually going to navigate you know Mm -hmm. one of my favorite bands lead singer talks about how they got big when they're like late 20s early 30s and so talks about how like you know didn't the fame didn't change him as much but he's like when i met people who got famous when they're like 2021 they are entitled and they're jerks you know because they let it go to their head and he's like only the time you know it's like being older when you get famous is like much healthier i don't know it's basically but anyways why would you say you're drawn to art um Because I think it allows me, to, it, it's sort of like an empathy exercise. I think it's like a chance to be understood in a way that most social structures don't allow you to be understood from strangers or friends. And, um, that and also, um, it's like a, uh, it's a problem to be solved, like a technical one. Um, I like I, I mean I enjoy puzzles and stuff and so like I because I, like I said I haven't been able to d- detach fully from that analytical part of my brain so I mean it's like it's almost like the perfect merging of like the hemispheres of like you know it's a problem for me to tinker with and solve like how can I take this app these abstractions in my head and make it a physical reality and then through that physical reality how can I use it to like create um, a conversation. An empathetic conversation with people like we can share a feeling you know 
because in the, in the in the beginning it starts with a feeling you know like i have a feeling that i want to share with people i want us to talk about this together but in order for you to talk about it with me you gotta feel it as well and then so that becomes the puzzle is like okay how do i how do i how do i how do i what's the solution to that what are like the real life physical answers to create that um that feeling you know what what lighting evokes it what kind of subject matter what kind of composition like what what are the things that when formulated together will result in someone sharing an experience with me to get what's inside your head mm -hmm. into someone else's head mm -hmm. i guess yeah. we're always trying to get people to see how we see things yeah um because i feel like that's what it is like I, I, I mean communication was something that like i wanted to practice as a skill i mean i talked about it earlier like lightheartedly with the video game aspect but it's also why i was into writing as a kid like i feel like it, it seemed like the solution to me for a lot of angst that i had as a kid like a lot of the problems i had with like fitting in i felt thought were like due to a lack of my ability to communicate my like my feelings and my and how i think and so i practiced really hard like to find ways in which i could communicate nice so like what um photography was like the main way that you were able to like build a scenario um if it, it feels like the one that um the practice was the most entertaining like writing you know like i love journaling but like you know the act of getting people to like like with like wait we rephrase this with photography i loved i loved the tool i loved the the camera i loved learning how it worked i loved like learning how to manipulate <clears throat> like like the pictures that came out of it like i, I think it was more of just like the, the the honing of the skill of like the lens and the camera just something about it felt very um appealing to me as opposed to other mediums it's like a ritual it's ritualistic and it feels like almost scientific too you know like the way in which you can capture and capture an image and adjust how the image looks um comes down to like almost like it's almost formulaic in a way you know the subject matter not so much but how you expose the image you know? yeah mm. like how do we capture the light where it hits this angle just right well mm. you have to have camera like mm. you know whatever that how the precision or mechanics can be really analytical because mm -hmm. you're like i can make it really precise mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and also just like it was it was a toy to tinker with like because i was i was studying engineering at the time and so I bought this like manual camera and I guess it was just kind of like, Oh, like it's like a not Rubik's cube, but it was like, yeah, like I've all these new features and things to learn. And, and, and it just was like, um, yeah, it was just a distraction at a first. Game. Yeah, it was a game. Yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a game to distract me. And it just so happened that like it led down this rabbit hole. A tinker toy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've, I've looked at all your photographs and I looked at all your, work they put on social media yeah. and went on your website but my favorite is the in the firmament mm. what inspired that yeah um it's an interesting one uh so that what project began is like a revisitation of like 
a project I did in school. So in school, I became friends with um, my still recording. Yeah, it's still working. <laughs> okay, um, I I became friends with some performance artists. They were MFA students, and they were studying like timeline or time based art, like it's called forty art at uh, UT. Basically, just art that it's it's a, a performance art or thing or or video art, like art that were part of the um, part of what you're utilizing is time, you know. And so I became friends with them because I was, you know, I was taking some video classes, and we wanted to co-op on a project together where they could utilize, um, you know, we could utilize both of our talents, and um, <clears throat> um, this woman April martin who kind of almost became a mentor of mine she wanted to tackle this idea of um uh, platonic intimacy um both well both like plutonic and platonic so like the idea of like like non-sexual romantic intimacy and also like the like pure idea of intimacy like the ideal intimacy and so we orchestrated this project together that was like an interactive art exhibit where they set we rented out a gallery space and set up like a, a stage with like basically the, the the entire floor was like mattresses and then dangling from the ceiling in various places was um these like thin um translucent like um, fabrics and the idea was that they choreographed uh, April and two other people, um, also performance artists. Um, they basically um, orchestrated some s loosely choreographed like movements that they thought were basically symbolic of this sort of like this intimacy that they were trying to like um, portray. And then the idea was that as people came into the gallery, they would slowly join the piece together. And my job was to then like film it, like find a way to like way to like navigate the scene with a camera and capture these tender moments on 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 film, which was a difficult task. And we knew that to begin with because you know you got this like very like ethereal environment and then you have like me with like this camera and a camera is like you know it's very like it's, it's, it can be aggressive sometimes when it's like you know having a camera pointed at you but we wanted to like i know we almost wanted to challenge for ourselves like <clears throat> could we like could we capture something like this on film is that is that possible can we like capture these like raw sort of like intimate like moments between people on camera um and we tried and we succeeded in a lot of ways and maybe we failed in a lot of other ways that we have learned from since but it was a really like unique progress uh project and we we turned it into a short film of sorts and um it was my first like introduction into like creating video art and um but basically um long story short um i was revisiting some old projects saw that one ended up calling up april just to have a conversation with her about it. And I basically, we, over the phone, I like started workshopping with her idea of like revisiting that project, but from like a, uh, more of like a 
you know, photographic perspective, like instead of like creating video art of it, can we create like, I want to create these like frozen moments of time with similar sort of energy. And then I also wanted to like incorporate um, visual inspirations that have like come to me since we filmed our last project. Like, like, you know, I've, I've learned a lot. I've like my improved my skills on lighting and composition. I have like new ways in which I like to use color theory to like evoke emotions and, um, but yeah, so I basically like, that was my attempt at, you know, just reimagining a project, but from just like in, in a way in which I used the camera in just a completely different way, you know, freezing time instead of expand, expanding upon it and stretching it out and stuff. Yeah. Where was that taken? Um, <clears throat> we, we built that set in this studio called the Backlots. Um, it's an extension. It's in the same vicinity of this camera rental company called Contrast Cinema. Um, but yeah, so they, um, the woman who runs the place, Tiffany, she's she's awesome. But she, yeah, she, she's the, the stage manager for this like giant psych wall. It's like a twelve foot um, psych wall, um, which was like um, more than I needed and, and originally was looking for. But we, you know. I that was one of the first few places that became available to me because I have a friend who works in the camera rental um, industry. He's really good friends with Tiffany, and so I got I just got put in contact with her early on. But all that was necessary was I just wanted like an empty space, like a really blank canvas to kind of color and fill with like light and to really accentuate sort of like the folds and forms of the people involved in this in the stage. Um, so I almost got more than I got, I got more than I asked for. How did you create the orb? Um, behind the characters. Yeah. So that was, that's actually more of like an optical illusion. So, um, the psych wall, you know, it's, you got like, it's, it's, it's two walls and a floor and they meet in this curve, this like in the, in the corner of the wall. And since it's all painted this uniform white, you can't really tell where that curve is. And so we, um, projected this tungsten beam, um, right in the vertice of like the wall um and basically what that did was like when you when we took pictures from certain angles it like almost like you know looked like it was a three-dimensional object wow because mm -hmm. it because like because of the way that it, the space was wrapping around the characters yeah the orb like what on earth it was almost like a happy accident like i i I wanted there to be an orb behind, I wouldn't call it an orb, I wanted there to be like a ring of light behind ring them. Light. And then when we started setting it up in the wall, I decided to shoot it right in the corner. And then when we were taking pictures, like, you know, looking at our, and looking at them, I was like, oh, like, you know, it's developing this like three-dimensional characteristic to it. And so we decided to like really lean into that. Um, because like, I wanted, I was really like, um, I wanted there to be like a little bit of like celestial imagery into it. I was reading a lot of science fiction at the time and like I wanted there like, you know, I like the idea of there being like these like gentle subjects, these really fragile things with like just almost like being swallowed and like all encompassed by this like giant vastness uh, around them, this giant vast empty void of space. And so, um, that's why I wanted these giant, like these giant, like sun-like objects behind them, 
but it just kind of was ended up being like a happy accident that like they went from 2d to 3d in a way yeah yeah what inspired the folds around the faces and stuff um i really so you know i studied like black and white photography quite a bit in school um mainly because like for for a whole year only shot black and white and i loved the way that like i forgot the term for it but when you're forced to only work with light and shadow and not color you come up with like interesting ways to kind of like um confuse the viewer about what they're looking at and one um one way that was appealing to me was the way that like when you shot macro shots of the of the human body with like arms folding over each other or people bending at the joints the way that like shadow and light falls on skin as it's like bending and folding um you know one shot up close almost looked a lot like parts of the earth like like deserts and mountains when when, when viewed from afar which I thought was interesting. It's like, you know, like when the earth, the earth for you from really far out looks a lot like the human body when it's sort of like up close without the context of it being a human body. Like we have ridges, we have folds. And so I kind of wanted to like accentuate that. Um, and so I came up with the idea of incorporating sort of this like translucent fabric because one, from a technical aspect, it adds some color contrast, you know, it, it reflects light um and it, it it creates something for the viewer to like draw their eyes to but also you know and see through it. it it yeah so that was a big thing too was like the um fragility i mean that's like one of like the, the the sort of ideas i was working with the idea that like this sort of like tender intimacy is fragile um and so i wanted to like I wanted to accentuate that like fragility and so like you know i felt like the fabric like humans and ourselves like we can look fragile sometimes especially when we're like our skin is bare but i also wanted like you know a lot of like the shoot was like improvised regarding like the the way the subjects are posed and i thought like <clears throat> if i'm gonna have a lot of improvisation and we're gonna be in the studio for a while shooting you know i want people to be comfortable so instead of working with like just like you know bare subjects i wanted you know let's just have let's let's like wrap ourselves with like these like these fabrics and just give them something to play with in a way i feel like that because like and though you know i didn't have i wasn't using like models these were like my friends and um and because I, I just wanted to work with people that were all comfortable with each other you know so these are all my homies that were there and i don't know the way i feel like just giving some of them something to play with was just like a way in which i could kind of keep the atmosphere light and you know i don't know just like it was almost like throwing a, like a wrench in the things like in, in a good way like i wanted there to be more dynamics for me to play with in, in a way yeah um but yeah i thought like i i a big thing too though that like is less so about the folds or more so like how they interplay with touch like i you know to emphasize this like sort of like fragile nature of like intimacy um I, you know i wanted like there not necessarily to be too much like skin on skin contact when people are like embracing each other i always wanted there to be like this sort of fragile barrier between them which was the fabric it was sort of to represent like this is like 
this is the, the thin veil that separates you and I, like the, the thing that like separates like this individual, individual, individual entity that is you and this individual entity that is me. We're both equally complex, but the thing that separates us and makes us unique and different is, is, can be so fragile and thin sometimes when you get, get to know someone. And so that's sort of like what that was to represent as well. And yeah, it reminded me of a couple of photos and paintings in this book, probably Leonardo da Vinci or Leonardo da Vinci's work. And it also reminded me of, have you ever seen uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky's Holy Mountain? Oh, uh, yes, yes, Remember absolutely. when they're shaving the heads? Yes. That's uh, what that reminded mm -hmm, me of. Mm -hmm. Especially when the shoulders are touching mm -hmm. each other. Or the I love that, so the, the, the way that movie... And the way they influence the color in that movie too, like color theory, like wonderful. I mean, yeah, definitely like movie's madness. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolute insanity. <laughs> but um, the Jesus Christ face like mushed. Mm -hmm, it's like mm -hmm. a weird texture. Yeah. I only saw the movie once, and all I needed to see it. But, yeah, yeah, I only saw it once. Mm -hmm. Watch that again. But in the beginning, it's so weird when he's shaving their heads. Mm -hmm. And they're in that weird room, and it's just like, yeah. I think you brought up like you brought up Da Vinci. Like I feel like sort of like maybe not like a direct inspiration, but like you know when I was just thinking about like I feel like you return to core pillars of like when you're trying to just like compose compose people. And I feel like for I mean I don't know like Renaissance paintings just like have sort of like found their way into like the social subconscious and like how we like pose people. You know, like there's just certain really like. I don't know, like, uh, a, some, some things are just more appealing than others. Like, the way that, like, people, there's a lot of, like, reaching and, like, bending and embracing. And, right, like, and, showing and, movement or yeah. about to move. Yeah, yeah, to try and, like, yeah, it's a, a way of, like, trying to create dynamics and something that's ultimately just a still image. Make it emotive. Like, mm -hmm. like yeah, like, look here, you can see the the folds in the in the clothing yeah how a lot of his paintings there's like folds in the i forgot that and I, he was also an engineer too yeah cool. yeah yeah um you the, also, or what were you saying uh, I, I i blank on their name but there was like this sculptor from around the same, same time period and they like were phenomenal michelangelo um I, you know it may have been him but like there was this one piece of like the the virgin mary and she has like it's marble but like it's like she's got like um a veil over her like she's like wearing like a dress and it's like it looks so fragile and real like it looks so silky and smooth and all the wrinkles like everything about it looks like so delicate but it's marble like it's rock solid you can you know, you but can, you can see the translucence. Yeah, you can see the translucence. Like you can see, like how like the face sort of like comes through. And in a way, like it was. It what's even crazier about it. I really, I really, you know, should come prepared and like with the person's name. This wasn't like a direct inspiration, but you, know, you brought this up, and I'm remember remembering this. But like, there's this interesting thing that um, happens on with the human eye, and on and it's accentuated on camera, but it's like moray patterns, which like. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but moray patterns are sort of like this optical artifact when you have like geometric patterns overlapping each other that are very similar 
in their um, re repetitive nature. Like a, a good example would be like <clears throat> if you've ever like like um, looked through a screen porch yeah. when there's two screens behind each other and you get this weird sort of like oh, um, yeah. distorted pattern in it, or when you're driving past like fences on our, on the side of the road. Oh, and there's yeah. two fences and they overlap each other and you sort of get this weird sort of like and is it you drive by it it's almost like, it's like sometimes they sync up and sometimes they don't sync up and you get this weird like pattern but like with like fabric like specifically like the fabric i used like you know it's in a way up close it's just a bunch of little squares right you know and so and but and then a camera sensor and almost like the human eye, like like a camera sensor and a human eye, where there, there's like photo sites. The optics. The optics. Yeah, you have these photo sites that are like in for a camera. It's like a very rigid pattern, but the eye, it's like although not a rigid pattern, it's still you know laid out in a certain way. And sometimes when we look at like really like fine pattern structures, like in fabric, you get these weird sort of like distortions um, from the subject behind it because the eye basically can only resolve so finally these details before it just kind of right before it gets it gets almost like vibrate it vibrates a bit and so i feel like like you know it's crazy how like even like a sculptor back then was able to sort of like capture that in a way mm -hmm. with like the way they marbled um the fabric over the woman's face yeah i find the renaissance period very fascinating mm -hmm. yeah i feel like I really need to like give the classics like more attention. I feel like my introduction to like art is like always is been from like a contemporary lens. You know, I love like contemporary cinema. I love contemporary photographers, and I like you know through school. You know, you learn about like some of like the you know the the Renaissance people in the field. You know, like in photography, you got people like Henry Cartier Busson, like these people that like pioneered like street photography for example like you know like I, i'm aware of them but like i feel like my most of my time studying things has always just been like a lot of contemporary stuff um and i don't know i feel like i should like really take some time to like go back and visit like these like see how far back the lineage can go you know even though like even though like the advent of the camera is pretty clear like, we know when the camera was relatively invented like in the 1800s yeah exactly but like, you know, it's like, although the camera was invented there, photography kind of was invented there. It's like, you know, the way that we chose to compose and take photographs was obviously heavily inspired by how we were doing other visual art beforehand. And so it's like, I really want to take some more time to like study, like, you know, like how far back you can go with that lineage before it's like too distilled. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like... Um... In the beginning, cameras were just shot to get portraits of situations. Like everything was staged and then take the picture. Mm -hmm. Where now it's once it once it became like portable. And, yeah, and, and yeah. Now it's everything. You know, it's not just a stage. Mm -hmm. It's like the dr cars driving by. Yeah. And picture yeah. So I feel like that has the application is different. Mm. I mean, we still have, you know, school photos where it's like, you know, sit here. It's so, yeah. So, um, what's the word? Like, um, uh, clinical or yeah. yeah. Like wedding photography, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know yeah, and there's people that manage to make it like, that's what, I mean, I've never really been like a portrait photographer. Um, and I've always been amazed by people that were like, 
really able to get like creative and artistic with their portrait photography because like that's something that has such a long lineage of being like super clinical <clears throat> in photography at least you know portraiture is like has like a very like long lineage as being like an artistic form but like in photography you know it, it almost like i know it wasn't like really it didn't really feel like until like contemporary times that like people started getting like a little weird with the lens you know and how they took pictures of people well, yeah especially color play too i mean that was the thing i know like through the history of photography like when color film was invented it was like that was like the consumers like film like real art was like black and white oh, that was like part of the conversation at the time was like you know it's like oh yeah like you know there's color film that's like you know that's really cool for documenting the world but when it comes to creating fine art like that's black and white oh. which you know from, from our from my perspective and a lot of people more now it's like that's so silly like why You're would cutting you yourself off yeah it seems like a huge really weird thing to gatekeep for some reason but I don't know, like the the history of photography has just kind of like found itself some quirks like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. How do you develop your artistic skills? Um through just constantly taking photos. I mean I recently um I don't want to call it downgraded, but down downsized, that's the right way to put it. Um my my main camera. I mean other than my phone, because you know the best camera you have is the one that's on you. But like I, my like main um, everyday carry camera is like this like point and shoot that I have now. This digital point and shoot that can fit in my pocket and in, in my bag because you know I I you know, decided that like you know when I when I go to do these like shoots like my last project like you know I'll have I can get access to the camera that i need for that specific job but when it comes to just like my day-to-day -day visual journaling i just want something that is really easy to and, and to keep on me um because it, it's less so about how you shoot the thing in the moment and more of just kind of like what i found interesting mm -hmm. but when i'm taking photos like day to day that's like that's what i'm trying to focus on is like you know not necessarily like creating like these like final products these like these like powerful shots it's more of just like oh like what did i what did i take a picture of today if anything like what did i find interesting um that's just kind of how i practice things and refine my my taste um i also love i still to this day love watching film uh like uh, you know it's just like one of the big like biggest inspirations for me as an artist has just been like cinema and i love watching film i love seeing how old and modern cinematographers like choose to frame their subjects like i love trying to break down like how th i thought things were like lit um just like as as an active practice practice um uh I mean, you can distill it like even further into like, you know, like reading and stuff like that. But as for like the core practice, it's really just those two things. Like for, for the visual medium, you know, it's just taking pictures whenever I can, documenting what I found interesting, and then just like um, digesting artwork. Also, I guess like, you know, going to galleries and like, you know, trying to partake in like the community, the visual art community here and seeing like what people are doing.
sort of like this um like an urge to like stay with the times you know like i want to like keep the brain fresh stay relevant or no this is not relevant, relevant, not relevant but, but um like um keep the brain um stimulated stimulated we're talking about we were talking about neuroplasticity earlier like you know i want i don't want get to get it all in while you I, can yeah less so trying to take it like less so from that aspect and more of like you know, right. keep keep things from getting rigid you know mm-hmm. so keep those gears oiled yeah throw yeah. a wrench in every now and then when it gets too exactly monotonous. nice okay cool so of all time who are some of your favorite artists photographers movies like what you know um you said alien earlier yeah um when it comes to cinematographers like okay so like in the sci-fi genre like the latest blade runner movie was awesome like just from like a final product but the cinematographer behind that um uh why am i blanking on his name uh oh man uh he uh he also did like Arrival, and he did this movie. Uh, what else did he do? Um, what? Of course, I'm blanking on his name as soon as I'm. I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back to him. He has okay. a, he has a podcast and everything that I'm a huge fan of. But for photographers, um, in a similar vein, there's this photographer um, Gregory Crudson. Um, I was introduced to his work in school, and. Gregory Crutzen was really interesting because he he's like a fine art photographer, but he basically creates these like mini movie sets, like for his for his work. Um, all of his work like basically f- feels like the still of a movie, but because it's a photograph, it's like there's so much like um, there's so much for the eye to like delve into there's like um there's like this this um term in film called mise-en-scene or mise-en-scene i'm not french but it it refers to basically just like what is in the scene what are you choosing to have on frame and in camera and it's sort of like it's more of like a mentality in a way like of like you know being really mindful of like what is in the shot everything in the shot matters in film like that's an intention mm -hmm. and so like it feel he really kind of like emphasizes that in his work because like you know like it's hard to describe without without showing some of his work but it'll be like an empty parking lot and there'll be like a woman like naked holding her baby trying to keep it warm and then there's like a man in one of the cars in the parking lot with a light on in the distance creating some visual contrast and then all the license plates will like be empty or something like that and maybe there'll be like one billboard that says something really like poignant but like every everything is image feels like a dream a dream it's very dreamlike in a way um very cerebral um yeah well, i'm like a huge i'm a huge fan of his work um and uh yeah like i feel like from there like for subject matter like as of recently like i i feel like i have like i've worked my way backwards because i've recently i've been like on this like reading binge which i know is not not like a photographer like like um 
a visual art thing, but I've been reading a lot of sci-fi and there's like this writer, um, I don't want to butcher his name, but he wrote this trilogy called um, The Three-Body Problem. He's a Chinese author. And um, The Three-Body Problem is sort of like a sci-fi epic, but it has like, the, his writing style is super clinical in the way that like he incorporates like physics and science in, in his writing in a very like, his books almost read like textbooks sometimes because he creates this like unique work of fiction that like feels very real, but the concepts that he's tackling get like wilder and wilder. And I just like took a lot of inspiration from that recently because it's like, you know, the idea that I'm, I'm working with like really foundational physical things, like, like the same lights and the same camera and the same lens, but it's like, how can I improve my, um, what would you call it? Like, production value like without really changing my budgets and my, my the stuff i'm working with um uh, i'm just gonna like look up this guy's name because like it's really bugging me like uh um sometimes my brain just works this way where uh like I just, it'll just like blank on things like in the moment that I'm supposed to be remembering. Uh, Roger Deakins. Is this Roger name? Deakins. Yeah, Roger Deakins. He, he's like a phenomenal cinematographer. Um, is he the Blade Runner guy? He did the, the, the 2049 Blade Runner. Yeah, I don't believe he did the original one. Um, but he like, he's just like, um, I like I like him because I listened to some podcasts from him and he has this like perfectionist sort of attitude towards how he likes things. The idea that like he, he kind of talks in this way that like which I don't always agree with, but like in, in his mind, like there's a perfect way to light something. When you have a scene where something very specific is supposed to happen and the director wants this idea to come across or this concept to come across, in his mind it's like cinematography can be very formulaic in the way that like oh there's like there is like a perfect sort of like platonic way of like shooting this so there's like there's like plato's ideal shot and he like thinks he can get like as close to that as possible which you know that's like a very like rigorous way of like thinking about filming but like it, it's worked for him because he's like created some like most beautiful like compositions um but yeah like i really like i really enjoy his work quite a bit um there's this uh, photographer, I believe his name is uh, Ruben Wu, I believe is his name. Um, and he um, he did this project recently that I thought was very interesting because it was for National Geographic, which like I have like a familial tie to. And he um, photographed Stonehenge um, using his own artistic style, which is like, he does this thing where he like, <clears throat> uh does like long exposure photography but like with like uses drones or he attaches lights to the drones and then will like basically like light up giant objects like like rocks in the nevada desert wow, all these mountains the drone will just fly up with a mm -hmm. light yeah so the drone will basically paint these large objects from above with light wow. they create these really like i mean you couldn't do that with like lights on the ground you couldn't like or like within or with a reasonable time you know you couldn't just like 
point your flashlight and expose like a whole mountain but like you know he's able to do that with these like drones and stuff and i don't know it's like i i like trying to find like photographers who are getting like really innovative with like their yeah. techniques it's like that's the thing too um with photography that i think is why i've like you know really taken to it is it feels like photography has as an art form has evolved with photography as a technology in a way because like the camera is like this technological tool and <clears throat> as its capabilities have gotten better and more diverse so has like the art that we've been able to create with it like a prime example that applies to both film and still photos is like the sensitivity of the camera you know like how you know how much detail can the camera resolve with x amount of light in like early motion picture film for example um was like not that sensitive to light it needed a lot of light to expose it properly which is why like earlier films <clears throat> if you watch them they like a lot of the lighting is like hard lighting and it's like really really bright like and 50s and 60s yeah movies. yeah 50s and 60s and like um if you like read like you know interviews from like actors back then they talk about how hot the rooms are and how like short they could be on camera because like you know they're, they're having to use these like incredibly incredibly powerful lights to expose the film um because you know in a motion picture the film is running through the camera like 24 times a second so like you know very little time to um expose the film but as technology as filmmaking technology has gotten better film has been able to get more and more sensitive while still retaining detail allowing us to create like like i think of horror movies where now in like in modern horror movies we there's so much like utilization of like blackness and darkness where you'll there'll be like objects just barely visible in the shadows and then like, they'll come out of the shadows and go into the shadows and like you know without like a lot of clever workarounds that was almost impossible with like earlier film but it's like cameras have been able to like attain more stops of dynamic range basically like you know having really bright stuff and dark stuff exposed equally on camera and we've we, just through that we've been able to like unlock like a lot more of creative potential wow. um i think of halloween mm -hmm. when michael myers emerges from the darkness mm -hmm. Like you, you see him, and then he's just there. Mm. And they had to do that with the camera technique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like, and that's the thing too. That's like interesting about film is like, or just photography in general is like, you, like the problem solving aspect of it. When like, you know, with, with like an unlimited budget, it's not that like the impossible becomes possible, but it's just easier to achieve your image sometimes. But you can, I don't know, I, I always like, liked, um, you know, taking a really low budget and seeing if I can create something <clears throat> that looks high budget by creating like artificial workarounds. Like one time <clears throat> I worked on a, a video project in school where the, the assignment was to create um, a one-shot short film or just like you had like it, you had one minute and you couldn't have any cuts or anything like that and you had to like you know make some unique video with like in a, in a one minute one take and i really wanted to like have a lot of like movement in my shot like i wanted there to be like 
this complicated camera movement, but you know, I didn't have access to like a crane or a dolly or anything like that. So what I did was I had like, I, I knew how to use video editing software very well. And I put a tripod on top of my friend's car and what the, the, the shot, basically what it, what it looked like, I should describe that first was <clears throat> basically I shot the sky of like a steeple of a church and then the camera starts floating and moving almost like it's on a crane and then it pans down and then you see this young woman leaving the church clearly like just like in sort of some sort of dismay she looks upset or something like that and then the camera gets closer and closer to her almost like it's on a dolly on a crane and then by the time it gets right up to her the camera pans all the way down and it's looking through the sunroof of a car and she gets in the car and there's someone in the car driving the car and the person tries to grab her hand and like to console her and she like withdraws her hand to you know, create some sort of drama. I just wanted to look at it. You see it all through the sunroof. And yeah, so so it looks like basically I had some sort of crane where the camera was like on a crane and then it, it pans over and then it gets on top of the car and looks down. But in reality, I'm like on top of this car with a tripod filming like like while this car's moving. And so the car is my dolly uh, up until the point where it parks. And then through editing, I just have the sound of the car, basically um, like the sound of the engine um, pitch in, like raise in volume slowly throughout the shot. So it looks like and feels like I'm on a crane, a camera crane, and I'm approaching the car because the car is getting louder auditorily. But reality, like I'm on the car the whole time and it's, it is my dolly until I get to the, like, the part where it's supposed to be staged and I pan down. And so I, I, I felt really proud of that because I was like, you know, I had like just a camera and a tripod and our video editing software. But I, 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 tried, I made something that I felt like looked like I had like some crazy camera rig, but it was just, wow. yeah. But like, I, I don't know. I, lo- I love that about like, like filmmaking and photography is like, you know, be creative with how it's done. Yeah. Like you have like this problem, like, like, or that there's like technical means of solving like like i'm not like a i am not an illustrator i'm not a painter and i'm sure there's similar analogs to that where like you um you know you have this idea in your head like how am i gonna like how am i gonna like draw that how am i gonna paint that how am i gonna get this color right what's interesting about like photography photography is like i have these like tools like these like um I guess there's analogs for everything because you can say like there's brushes and pencils, but like yeah, that that that's what that's what it is. You're it's like understanding what the right tool for the job is, but the tools themselves I'm just so fascinated with because they're so high tech. You know, cameras, just the, you know, there's stands and whatnot. Like, yeah, like from like the the lights and the stands to like the camera itself. I just like find it so interesting that like we have this tool that can like capture light in a way that the eye captures light and um and that you can manipulate it and work with it like that's just so so interesting to me and i find it that's like what separates it from all other mediums that's why some people take to it as art and some people don't take to it as art is because you know there's sometimes there's less interpretation to be done like you can take you can press a, a button on the camera and you're like basically just stolen the light from a scene and and the way that it looked in your brain is how it's going to look on camera. There's other ways in which you can get creative with the camera and your lighting choices in which like, 
you make something completely new out of like the, the thing you shot in the first place. And then you can make it something no one's ever seen. Yeah, exactly. Like it looks like um people I mean it's like the term movie magic. Like, you know, it's like it's like you no one I don't want people to know that like this was shot on like a psych wall and I don't want I don't want people to know that like where the boundaries of the shot are, where does it begin or end? Like that's what's so interesting about like composing for <clears throat> for like this kind of work is like it's almost just as bit, a, a bit intentional as what you put in the shot as to like what you exclude in the shot. And I find that like, that's why I've been really interested in like you know, the, the subjects in my landscape work, because it's like, I want to create the feeling that like these buildings or these slides, these lampposts are like almost like alone, like in like an empty out of bounds landscape sorts. Because like you don't get to see, <clears throat> you don't get to see what's outside of the the, the frame. Yeah. But through like the tones, the lighting, the minimalism of it all, you just get the sensation that like this is like no real place. This is like this is like a dream or something. That's like how that. I felt about your water slide photo. Mm, yeah, I really enjoyed that, that one. That was fun. That one was fun. That one was like this mysterious. Mm. That was so like to break that one down like without like you know i mean to reveal like you know the secrets behind it like or how my brain works like so the original picture you know like I, it, the composition was the same but <clears throat> there was like like a parking lot visible with cars like right like right just above the horizon like the, the the tops of cars and they were wow. they were and then the whole thing was fenced in too there was a fence around the whole area of the slide and there was also like logos on the slide and basically like i edited those things out of the image because that's what you know when i when i think of the these atmospheres that i want to create i have to you know remove what i think is like attaching it to reality parameters yeah yeah, like like you know like in order to create this feeling that these things are just suspended avoid yeah and avoid is like you know i gotta remove like i gotta remove what like makes it the familiarity of it all right like you know we're familiar with a slide we're trying to keep it timeless yeah 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 exactly exactly um and that's that's been something too that's like been fun kind of like analyzing myself is like you know what do I feel like needs to be removed? You know, right. sometimes it's obvious, you know, like branding, for example, like that. I don't want branding in my images because that takes away, takes away from the feeling, you know, wherever like, it's placed. It's, yeah. It becomes like your, like, part, part of that is not just the location, but like the time, you know, and like that logo, like, Oh, it's like, you know, in maybe 10, 20 years, like that, you'll be able to identify that as like, that was 2020, pepsi cola logo or something like that oh, yeah. and so removing that and then another thing too is like <clears throat> uh I, I, I'll, a lot of times i'll like change the sky a lot in my images or landscapes because i feel like um part of like the minimalist aesthetic that i'm trying to achieve involves creating a lot of negative space and so the biggest 
form of negative space in landscapes is the sky usually unless the unless the foreground's barren and so <clears throat> sometimes the sky in the image will be too busy and i'm like okay well, i don't want all these clouds here uh, i want it to feel like empty i want it to be a clear blue day like i this image in my head feel feels like it would achieve what it wants to achieve if it was empty or sometimes i'll for certain images i'll i'll i love the way that the moon looks in during the day sometimes like i always find that interesting as a kid you can see the moon during the day yeah like that was, that was so interesting to me because i'm like oh you know you grow up with this like archetype that like sun is day and moon is night and, yeah and then you're a kid and one day you go outside and you're like i can see i can see both at the same time like space is more than that like space is weird like that okay it's not perspective yeah perspective like things aren't binary like day and night like there's like this hidden dynamic among everything that's like that's so strange and so one of my images like i i put a moon in the shot during the day because i was like that 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 was like the cherry on top almost of like completing the piece or sometimes like for the slide image returning to that like i want like you know so much of the foreground was blue like the pool was blue and the, and the slide was blue which i thought was really interesting because like you know i the location i found that at like i know i've never seen a pool that was like painted blue like that and so i was like oh like if that's the sky and that's my empty space in the foreground then i want to do the opposite with the sky and i want to make the sky pastel and and swirly and busy and so i added clouds to that image and did almost like the inverse um of what i typically do but yeah it's like that's just kind of like me breaking down my process of like you know when, when it comes to like landscape stuff is like deducing like what i think is distracting and then at the end thinking about what might possibly add to it um i like i sit with images a lot like i feel like i not like a candid photographer or a street photographer like not because i feel like i i, I can't become skilled at that but because like i my brain's too analytical after the fact like after i take an image i know there's so many more choices to be made that yeah like i much rather just like if i'm gonna if i'm gonna like take an image and edit it like sit with it for a long time than just kind of like just pump out images and stuff like that like you know i want to make more of an impact with each individual thing kind of like the um the mise-en-scene that we were talking about earlier with like film and gregory kutzen's photography like i i i want everything to feel intentional and not just circumstance of the moment yeah what um so what like inspires your creativity or like you said these voids or these places um <clears throat> you know it's, it's a lot of stuff um and you talked like referring to like earlier in the conversation like i feel like growing up i just grew up in the social equivalent of like you know, i feel like the suburbs of america are like almost like these out of bounds zones in a sense where like you know a lot of like the cultural mixing pots and the hubbub of like the world takes place in these cities and the further you drive out of the city into these like suburbs you get these like 
odd atmospheres with like you know there's landscaping there's like there's grass and there's trees and there's buildings but they they feel they start to become like um i don't know they feel like eerie and artificial because the grass is so well kept and the, the trees are so uniform in their placement and and the houses sometimes like are very identical multi-color. yeah multi like they're, 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 they fall the same like the homeowners association gave them like a palette they could work with for example and i feel like <clears throat> growing up in that area those areas it's like i don't know i feel like i draw a lot of inspiration from that because they're nostalgic but almost in like a um unsettling kind of way i feel like that's like with like like um in pop culture like liminality has kind of like returned as like sort of like a you know, like pop culture aesthetic what would you say Lim- liminality oh, like- it's so like it's like in, in pop culture it's 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 lost a lot of its meaning like um, liminality is in like sparse thing or- oh like referring to like you know the, the the definition of the word is like about like um places that feel like in between moments in time and feel out of bounds and feel um almost like um like a memory that's manifests itself into a, a reality uh-huh. in a way or a trans transitionary point between places um like um like the spit like like purgatory in the bible for example or in like catholicism like like that's like that's like a religious liminal space it's like these these things that are not anywhere close to the binaries of like society or like spirituality that we put in place um but in pop culture like liminality has sort of like took in this like um like pre-2008 like market collapse like like nostalgic feeling to them like a lot if you look up like liminal on like social media for example like on instagram or on tumblr or anything like that you'll get these like grainy images of like places that look like abandoned Chuck E. cheeses from the early 2000s or like abandoned shopping malls that have like the early 2000s look with like the the cups with the swirly design on it and the neon lights but they're all empty and so like that's a that's a big thing too is they're always empty there's no people in them but yeah i find it interesting that like in pop culture it's like there's like this perversion of nostalgia almost happening like you're taking these like iconic places from like people in my generation's childhood and making them feel eerie or um yeah but that it, i feel but like that's what you try to do or that's what but that's what i like um that's a visual inspiration of mine it's not necessarily what i'm trying to do because like i said i avoid like i don't want my images to feel cr- like necessarily like upright creepy I, i'm okay with like introducing a little bit of unsettling an unsettling alone. feeling alone isolating but i don't want it to feel like i like menacing yeah i don't want it to feel menacing i don't want it to be like grungy i don't want there to be like noise and i want to look like it's taken from like a tooth like a nokia cell phone like i want it to like or imply some negative thing. yeah like apply that there's like oh, like that's a big thing like too a crime is, or something like crime happened there like a lot of them are like um imply that there's like that there's something evil or bad there there's lurking. a creature there lurking behind the corner around this like you know i don't 
um, necessarily want to do that. Right. Um, it's like daylight liminality. It's like liminality uh, plus. Like it's like I, I, I like I, I like my images to feel bright and airy, but also retain sort of like that like isolating. Like that's all that exists. In yeah. That, in that world. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like if you go outside that, it's just like the black walls of a video game or something like. Yeah, and, and so like that's I love, I love I'm very inspired by pop culture and like <clears throat> um, regarding like yeah I brought this up earlier but like you know I, I I played a lot of video games when I was younger and like you know leaving like um, have you heard the term like no clip before no clip yeah so it's like a it's a it's a developer term like a video game developer term for like um, basically in, in games what makes rigid bodies like not pass through one another is clipping like you know an object like um well, like you you give it like a rigid body and you tell about this object like okay it can't pass through other rigid bodies but when you access like the console like cheat code and your cheat codes in the game you can turn off clipping of your character and your character can walk through walls and stuff like that fall through the map fall through the map and that's how you find like i was talking about earlier you find these weird areas outside the map that sometimes developers will like accidentally leave in their games like a developer will build like a, like like a level like one sixteenth of the way through like just have the basis of a level and they'll abandon it and instead of deleting it it'll just like they'll just like they'll just leave it there in this like void of the map and then they'll just build the real game somewhere else in the same level and you wouldn't know that but if you know clip if you if you leave the map you'll find all these like half-built realities just scattered throughout the game. At least in like the games I play, like in the Source Engine and stuff. And I really, really like, I don't know, I just something about it was so like um, captivating to me or eerie. I don't know. I was just like, I was like, why is this here? What is this, what does this mean? Am I supposed to be able to be here? That was that was the thing too. It's like like the feeling of like I'm I don't think I'm supposed to it's see. Like you this. snuck out of the house. Yeah, you, you snuck out of the house and you saw something you weren't supposed to see. Yeah. That kind of thing. And like um that's also found its way in pop culture recently. One of my favorite I used to really love these things called um creepy pastas. It's like the funniest term, but the pasta refers to paste, like copy and paste. And it, it's basically the internet's campfire stories. Uh, it's like it's like short horror stories that get passed along on the internet, and they've like changed throughout time so much. Like these like um, iconic short stories, but one that's come up very recently, I find sort of silly, but also kind of like endearing because it's nostalgic for me. Is this um, this one short story? It's not even a short story, but this aesthetic of the back rooms. Back rooms. Yeah, is you should look into this. It's very interesting. Like the the lore behind this is like changed so much but the lore of the back rooms is it looks like this abandoned um cubicle office space but there's no chairs there's no desks it's just like it's just the walls and the carpet floor and then the buzzing fluorescent lights and it goes on forever it's just like this infinite office space and the idea behind it what is it called again the back rooms yeah and so the idea behind it and they use the term noclip in this, which I found endearing, but like the, the people in the community that have been developing this sort of like the backrooms lore talk about how you get there if 
reality, basically reality is a simulation of some sorts, like a video game almost. And it's very rare, but like sometimes some people might accidentally like no clip out of reality for a second. Like someone might bump into a chair just at the right angle at the right moment in time when the particles line up perfectly and just like fall out of reality and you fall into the back rooms and the back rooms are like the if god was a developer it's those out of bound areas that you're not supposed to be but you accidentally ended up and like that's like the horror of the back rooms is like you know if life is a simulation you actually and you accidentally got out, got out of it and you're stuck there and so like i found that i was like oh that's so bone chilling but also like it's funny because it borrows early video game culture, like, you know, no clipping and out of bounds areas. Like, those are things that, like, you don't really see in modern, like, video games now because modern video games are so... Um, well developed. Well, well, people argue about that, but yes, yeah, they're, 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 they're super well developed. They're, they're very rigid. You're not, you can't, um, you can't enter cheat codes, like, in a, on a keyboard anymore, like, in a lot of video games. Uh they just they won't let you do that they don't want you to break break their video game oh yeah but the source engine um it's in its name it was open source it was one of the first like big video game engines like platforms that video games were developed on that was open source anybody could like mess with it, mess with it. and i feel like they inadvertently created like a whole subculture of like of just messed like, up video game kind of thing yeah messed up video game things are like you know that's what that was like you basically open sourced creativity in the, in, in the, in the metaverse, you know, like, you know, like you let these kids who the first generation of kids to really grow up with the internet, um, you like gave them access to a tool to like create three dimensional worlds. And it's like, it was very just, you know, fun to be a part of that growing up. Definitely. You know? Okay, cool. What are some of your strengths and weaknesses as an artist? <clears throat> um, weaknesses, I um, I'm very bad at letting things go, um, declaring things are that uh, as being done. Um, I. I like to sit with things maybe a little too long because of this perfectionist mindset I have. I have like, you know, I combat that voice in my head. That's like, it's like the Roger Deakins cinematographer um, mindset, the idea that like there's, there's a perfect way in which like this thing I'm trying to do can be done. And I I'll know when I get there and I should keep trying. And so I'm like, I'm not the best at like, accepting something as being like worthy of myself um and it causes like a huge backlog of things like if you look at i mean if you look at the things that like i make public on my website or my on instagram for example and then you compare it to like how many photos on how many hard drives i have it's like it's such a disproportionate like amount. Like I have like terabytes of like photos, just like on hard drives, just like and so I'm, most of them completely unedited and like or anything. I just took them and some some I spent hours on and just didn't even do anything with them because I don't know. Like I just it almost feels like complete chance that something 
I pub- make something public. Like I was just in the right mood one day. I was like, oh yeah, I like this. I'll share it. But there's so many other things that I liked at one point and I just didn't really feel in the mood to share. And I, um, yeah, I feel like I need to, that's, that's something I'm, I'm not the best at. Um, but a strength though is like being able to identify what things could be done better. It was like, you know, it's like a potential. Yeah, exactly. Like they're, you know, these, these two, the strength and weakness, like kind of go along with each other. Like the strength I feel like is I can look at any project of mine and tell you exactly like what I would have done better, what could have been done better or what I will do better, uh, different next time and utilize differently next time. And you take notes. Yeah. Take like, yeah. Take notes. Like, like I was talking earlier about how my my form of storyboarding is more of just like an engineer's notepad. Like my, I, I'm really good at just um, analyzing something that is inherently artwork. Like it's subjective, but I'm able to like with pull pull out and uh, um, the the technical aspects of it and figure out which gears need oiled and whatnot. Um, I'm also like, um, because I'm like a complete nerd, like I'm really good at like navigating the internet and finding the tools and resources I need to like learn the stuff that will better my work and whatnot. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm really, I have a talent for like navigating the internet, um, regarding like finding information that will help me as an artist. Um, uh, having the reasons, yeah, exactly. Which which was like which makes earlier. you go to the answers. Mm-hmm. You don't find the answers till you have enough reasons. Yeah, and that's why I feel like um, and maybe this is a weakness. I I don't know yet, but like the pace at which I work is very slow because I feel like once I create a final product. I like to just like take long breaks afterwards and just kind of meditate on the project before I even think about like starting something else, you know, like I, um, so yeah, I, I can't determine if that was a pro or con. Like imposter syndrome tells me it's a con because it's like, Oh, like, you know, if you want to be like noticed as an artist, you got to like, be on your on your shit you got to keep you got to keep making making more work all the time and get stuff out there like you got to show that you're a hard worker hard like that's the thing is like hard work for me sometimes um co-aligns with just like time spent versus like another way of looking at things is that you're going to create better work if you're in a better mental sphere and you've been able to think about things for a while and refresh your mind and transfer your state of mind into something new, like you're gonna you're gonna remain poignant and fresh. But um, yeah, like that's like that's an internal battle of mine. It's like yes, you can let things linger and study and and think on them, but then eventually there needs to be an endpoint so you can then either move on or find something else or. Exactly. Like you, you got to give yourself a deadline. Like I don't want to. I don't want to be. Um, 
like no pun intended, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be stuck in these like these head spaces, <laughs> you know, like these back rooms. <clears throat> maybe, I mean, maybe like that's like you know, uh, you know, a meaning that's like come up in my work unintentionally. It's just like feelings of being stuck, you know, like yeah. feeling um, writer's being, block. Yeah, be, being out of place and stuck and lost. And um, disassociated, derealized. Like these are things that like I've struggled a lot with isolation. Like, yeah, and uh, yeah, I feel like that. Those are those are things that I've struggled with. And struggle is like a very powerful motivator for artists, and it is for me too. Yeah, I think in the moment of creating it, though, it's meditative, and I'm not struggling. I'm not like when I'm taking these photos and I'm editing them and I'm having my shoots, like I'm not like angsty and yeah. I'm not like distraught and alone and, and, and depressed. Like I'm like, you can I'm, save those feelings for later. Right? Yes. Yeah, I've saved those for like the, the analysis of it retrospectively, but, um, but in the time, then in the time, it's, it's all that there is. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is like, you know, ties into the theme earlier. It's just, you know, like, when I'm when I'm working on my art, it's all I can think about, and I want it to stay that way. And it keeps you like yeah, feeling like you're living out your potential. Yeah, and and, and I want I'm very protective of that. I guess like I um like the like capitalist in me tells me like you know like keep you gotta keep taking photos, you gotta keep posting photos, and you gotta keep like you gotta keep people interested you know like you're a business keep churning out keep churning content out but then like you know but, the, then, but then the other part of me is like you know like that's like like my my relationship with of of with my art form is it's meditative and as soon as i feel myself start catering towards that capitalist part of my brain i'm like i get like really disgusted with myself i'm like no like don't like don't do that to this thing that you've like fought so hard to like become a solace for your you know yeah a refuge Re yeah refuge yeah yeah <clears throat> okay awesome. how would you best describe the type of artist you are um uh, like sporadic in a way um maybe not necessarily in like the work I make, but like when I choose to make it and, and how I choose to make it, like I'm, I'm always wanting to do something new. Um, like I'm wanting to like, I'm wanting to refine a vision and refine an aesthetic, but I want the way in which I tackle it to always feel fresh. And so new methods. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. New methods. Um, I think um, uh, I'm a little bit more understated in my presentation. Um, I like, other than the work itself, like the visual, um, I put a lot of thought into my titles. But other than that, like, I can be a little short and sweet with my artist statements behind each project 
Um, not that because because not just because I'm wanting the art to do all the talking, but that's almost like a you know, part of like the feeling I want my work to give off is this. I want to have this quaintness to it. And so if I, if I have this artwork, these like these, these images of mine that are supposed to evoke these isolating feelings or these tender feelings. And then there's like, there's like this wall of text next to it explaining the whole thing in like pages. I just feel like it's like kind of productive for me. I find, um, lose the mystery. Yeah, mystique. And, you, and, the, and the mystery is not only an external one that I'm trying just to portray to other people, but it's an internal mystery too. I, I'm. That's why I'm so hesitant to <clears throat> write these long artist statements because I. Uh, so much of it's a mystery to me too. I mean, even in our conversation today, I mean, I'm formulating perspectives about my own artwork that I've probably never really written down before. Maybe I've journaled about and stuff like that, but never in a long form way like this, just because it's not really through anything other than cooperative investigation that you realize what are hidden themes. That we live by. Or Does that? That we live by. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Undercurrents, mm-hmm. subconscious. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, through, the, like, you know, like this, the last project, in the firmament, I um, I did a lot of planning, like the, because you know you have to for a certain point. I had this studio for X amount of time, and I have X X equipment that's going to be there at my disposal. Like I'm, I um, I want to have an outline of what I'm going to do, but I don't want to be too rigorous in my in pre conceptualizing the uh, compositions because so much of the work of my own that I like myself the most were things that were spontaneous in the moment, things that like I ephemeral. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's rare that I've other than film, like the video stuff, all of my photos, like I feel like there's been some part about it, whether it be in the editing or the actual acquisition of the image that like was totally unplanned for, but not totally unplanned for, but um, like I, I basically, I, I think of my, my philosophy of photography is like create the boundary, you know, create your play space, but don't like put too many pawns inside that play space. Like that, that will happen naturally. Like, it's keep like it the, a sand or keep it like a sandbox. Yeah, sandbox, exactly. It's like, you know, it's like you have you have your game engine. Don't overthink it. Yeah. You got have your fun. you got your little you got your game engine, you got your tools, like it's there. Like have faith in yourself. Like it'll let it happen. Let it happen. Um and I and I, and I struggle with that because you know, imposter syndrome tells you like rigid you know, structure. You gotta plan it, because if you're not Precision. planning it, you're not good. You're, 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 you're Gotta be serious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I gotta take. Are it you serious. not? Are you not talented enough to like create? Take like, it to this level. Oh, to take yeah. it to level. Yeah, exactly. The inner dialogue of yeah, do more. Can be more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wouldn't say it's been until like very recently that I've like even started to develop like a lasting fondness for my work. Like I, when I create like stuff, like I love it. 
Um, but I typically have this attitude that like when I'm done with something, I don't like to look back. Like I like I'm always forward thinking. I don't like to um I like to think about the concepts and develop like new ideas, but I don't like to like, look at my work, old work, like too long, you know. Like so I just, you want to get trapped there. <clears throat> yeah, I want to be trapped. You want to be on the cutting edge of your own abilities. Absolutely, like, absolutely. I don't want to be known for this thing I did in a while back. Like, I yeah, going. yeah, exactly. Keep redefining. Um, before you get before too much gets out there, and then there is a rigid frame with which. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yeah. Before you define yourself too much, right? No, I, I'm still. I could be different, or, uh-huh. or something new I haven't done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, what kind of photography gear do you use? Um, some people don't like to give this stuff away or talk about it. No, I love talking about technical stuff. I have a, I have a lot. Of, some of my close friends know that about me. Like I'm very like nerdy with that kind of stuff. And like my friend, one of my really good friends, Adam, he he works like at a camera rental shop with like lights and cameras. And I love talking with him because he he he's just like an encyclopedia. Like he just knows everything about like what the cutting edge is for that stuff. But for me, like <clears throat> um, like I said earlier, like I I use this camera. Um, it's a it's called the brand's a Rico. It's a Rico GR3. And so it's like a point shoot camera about the size of like my iPhone, maybe a little bit smaller. Um, and it just can fit in my pocket. And I like it because the form factor is small, but the the size of the, the photo sensor on it is um, large. Like it's basically almost the size of a piece of film, which like for imaging quality is like... Um, it creates, I'm putting the word better in brackets, but it creates a better image. The larger your photo site, the, the more, usually the more sensitive your film is to light and the more gradations of color you can capture. Because if you think of like a photo sensor as like an array of pixels, like little squares, um, let's say you've, if you only had two squares, you know, blurry, and, you know yeah. if, you, if you want to show like a gradient from like, red to orange from one red to like a to, to, to an orange like you know all in all in the red at like red end of the spectrum but just slightly different shades if you have two pixels you know it's gonna look like super contrast you got like your sharp red your deep red and then you got your light orange but the more squares you stack between it the more steps you can have between the colors and so that's sort of the mentality of having a larger photo sensor is when you capture your image you got more steps of color between the changes from light to shadow, from bright colors to dark colors, and so that's what that's why I chose that camera was because it was the smallest camera I could get that had a sensor that I I was willing to work with. Wow. Um, and then for my, that last shoot of mine um, for lights and stuff, that was fun because um, <clears throat> a lot like a lot of uh, lighting technology has moved to um, LED technology, um, kind of like these lights you're using in this room, because um, they're low power out uh, draw. Um, they don't, they're hot. They don't get hot relatively. Um, and it's really easy to like change the color usually. Um, but um, so they're, they're good for like, I like using those lights for um, filling 
um, filling spaces, like in that in that shoot that I did in the firmament, um, there was an LED grid on the ceiling. So basically, a bunch of these little LED panels all on the ceiling, and they were connected to like a control board. And I could very quickly like change the light and mix the light and on the fly. Um, <clears throat> whereas like old cinema lights, these hot lights, these bulbs, not only they, they, they take a lot of power, they're very hot, they're very hot. Um, they, they can explode if you get oil on them on on the glass. And uh, in order to change the color, you got to put gels like filters in front of them. So they're much more. Um, there's a lot more. Uh, Cumbersome. And cumbersome, yeah, to, to cumbersome to change the light. But the quality of light that they create is very unique. I mean, LED technology is getting close, but I've always been able to just I feel something different with those lights. So for that shoot, the lights uh, that create the orb and the light the beam, the, 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 that's illuminating the subjects, those are the hot lights. Those are tungs tungsten beams bulbs oh, wow. they're like i think they were like 750 watt um lights um yeah they're they're very bright but they um i chose them because the lighting fixture that they're in <clears throat> um forgot the name of the lens it's not a it's not a fresnel lens it's a um basically the the lensing apparatus that spreads the light from the little tiny bulb inside of it creates this like um, chromatic aberration around um, not only the edge of the spotlight, but also like on specular highlights, like really bright white points on people, like on the on the glittery parts of the fabric and on like on like their jewelry and stuff. It creates this like chromatic aberration where like. There's a little bit of like a purpley, purpley red, like outline and hue to the edge of the light, and I and I really like that. Some people, I mean, that's like they want to avoid that. That's why they choose LED lights because there's not a lot of, um, not not just LED lights, but um, they avoid that lensing system hmm. because they don't want that aberration. Um, but some people like it, and I, I I thought it fit the piece perfectly, so I like that's why I chose that light for. The subjects and I chose the LEDs for because they were available to light up the background. Oh. Mm -hmm. What about video cameras? Do you do you, <clears throat> do you have a video camera or um my not personally like not a dedicated video camera. I used to have like I used to have one. I like all through school I had this thing. It was a Panasonic um, GH four is what it was called. Um, it was basically like. It looked like a DSLR, but it was like built around video, so it could, it shot like for the time like very decent video. But it took like it you didn't have to buy super expensive cinema lenses for it because it it took like regular photo lenses. Hmm. And so for a college student, that was perfect. Like I wanted something that took like you know, good video, but I don't have to. Most of the most of the price of a camera comes with the lens. The lenses, not yeah. not the actual camera, and so knowing that, I chose that system. But I sold that um, about a little over a year ago, just because um, when I was doing video projects, I was always renting renting a camera specific for the project, or a friend had like a 
much nicer camera. So um, really nice like um, video cameras or like I call or I should call them film like film like cinema cameras. Like those are like investments. And like if you're starting a production company or you That's shoot like the main money pot or like where all the money goes. Yeah, like renting that thing out is gonna get you a lot of money. Um, so I don't I don't I don't own one of those. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I rent them out occasionally, but um, I don't shoot enough. Film film, to, yeah, to right. justify it. I understand. So you're from here, and then you went to UTK, mm -hmm. and then you graduated and moved back here. Mm -hmm. So how long have you been here since graduating? Uh, so I graduated in 2020, so like a little over three years. Okay. What um, what's kept you here? Troll melting pot that it is, but there's something really endearing about like living in a city where you run into familiar faces all the time. And Nashville's like growing really fast, and so that's kind of like very quickly becoming like a different thing. But like, it's still a small city compared to others in this country. Right. What's your favorite place to shoot here? Um, <clears throat> well, like my when it comes to just like shooting like on the fly, like I love riding my bike, um, because I, like my brain like needs constant stimulation and so like i love like constantly changing my my scenery uh and so it's not like really like one specific place that i like to shoot specifically i'm always i'm always wanting to find like new places um with new interesting imagery but when it comes to places that i like to just like frequent um and that'll also occasionally bring my camera. I love like the nature centers here. Like Shelby Bottoms is so beautiful. I love I love that park um, from the bottom of my heart. Um, I love like there's something really nice about like the farmland. Like when you get out of Just the city, drive yeah, drive twenty thirty minutes out like north and stuff like that. Um, I really like those areas. Um, I uh yeah I I tend to typically avoid the denser urban areas like if I'm gonna bring my camera anywhere just because like from what I know I like in my images like There's too much stuff yeah oh. too much too much commercialism too much people like that's it's I do like making a challenge of myself to go to places like that and see if I can make an image from it like where I'll I'll, I'll remove people I love I I love removing people from like scenes that typically have people and removing all the branding and stuff but most of the time I, I i'll stay away from like places like that such as broadway or whatnot right mm -hmm. okay what is some advice you'd give to someone who's going to move here and pursue art well i would say focus on developing your community first maybe um like stay true to yourself and like practice your art but like a big thing that's going to keep you like engaged and motivated is having like and by community i mean like one or two people uh, sometimes like just like find find people that you can keep a constant repertoire with like people you can engage with get feedback from 
um, that you're close with. Um, also, like, finding, like, an area you like and staying there, too, has, like, taught me a lot. Because I, I was moving around a lot once I came back from school. And then at my current place now, out in East Nashville, like, you know, I'm coming up on it on a year being there and like just feel like I'm finally like really getting like acclimated to like the the people on the scene out there and um here hmm? East Nashville East Nashville yeah here yeah yeah, yeah. we're in a different we're out of bounds <laughs> we're, <but> out of- <laughs> we're out of bounds right now but uh, <clears throat> yeah like so like you know really kind of staying put for a second like helps um but and then also you know Don't um, take advantage of the resources that that um, Nashville gives to you to like find things that are going on, like I mean the Nashville scene, your podcast, for example. Um, there's like independent record labels here that post like about like shows going on. Like there's um, there's a lot that commu- like the community does to serve itself here that you wouldn't be aware of if you stuck with like your mainstream like news outlook looks and stuff and just relied on like you know like the tourist like traps of nashville are just so unrepresentative of like what the art culture is here mm-hmm. um i mean it's representative in one way in a big way which is sure. like there's lots of singer songwriters here like no, no escaping that like that's a thing but like the diversity of singer songwriters for example or other mediums of artwork mm-hmm. are so just like drastically underrepresented by Nashville's tourists uh, sort of scene. So definitely like, um, yeah, put on no clip and fly around Nashville. Don't 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 stay in the the main character zones like Broadway and stuff. Like you're not gonna find anything there other than like over, like a twelve dollar PBR or something like that. Right. Um, but you know, on the plus side, you'll find you you'll hear live music from people that are trying to make it and trying very hard. And so, like you know, it's not like all for none, but no. it's also a financial trap. It is. Yeah. Okay. Cool. What is your biggest personal growth from last year? This. <clears throat> um. Expanding um, my group of friends um i've been like in one of my um extroverted eras right now left a left a pretty introverted era in a new extroverted era chapter i should say and so um there's that um could you repeat the question again you're asking specifically like what what what, what, what's good about this year or like what is something I guess personal realization from mm. last year, this year, change or yeah. Um, I would say also like my relationship with my job has changed in a good way. Um, or jobs in general. Like I, I've just I've I've bounced around through so many jobs. Like I was working on film sets. I was working at a production company. Uh, I was working. I worked at a camera rental house for a little bit. Like I, jobs were starting to get develop this um personality that they were temporary to me 
I mean, all jobs are temporary, but they were things that like I did not stick with for a while because it was like, oh, like you know, they're just there to get me by, and like I, I, I'm not means really, to an end. Means to an end, and um, I, my current job is like one of the first jobs I've had where I, um, have like really grown fond of and really enjoy my work, and um, yeah, it shocked me. Like, and I, and when I first had it, I didn't realize it because I was so stuck in that mindset. But now I, um, yeah, my relationship with my job has changed in a very beneficial way. Nice. Okay, cool. Changing subjects here. How do you consume media? Or like manically? YouTube or? Oh, like, like types. Um, um, like, where, like what rabbit holes do you go down? Um, yeah, I, I, when it comes to going down rabbit holes, like a lot of that comes from like, places like youtube and like reddit like reddit's a big one for me because like i can like i can you know filter myself a little bit based on the sub subreddit or community that i want to be involved in and research and entertain myself with but you know usually i'll find like a link like so i'll post an article about like some some crazy fact that no one knows about about you know an event in early history and then i'll look that up and then there'll be a hyperlink to like something else i'm interested in and i'll follow that for a while um i also like i mean i love keeping up with like humor and pop culture like i love like memes and stuff like that not as like a form of like meditation or anything like that but like <laughs> just like i don't know i love like engaging like my engagement with like um like media is like mostly to entertain when it's not when it's not there to like holistically like help me better myself as an artist and research stuff it's mostly there as like a form of like humor and entertainment and um stimulation in a way what do you watch on youtube um recently okay so i found this i, I really like this one guy he his name is uh JCS Criminal Psychology, I think is his name. Wow. He uh, he basically like um, it's like really. I mean, it's like sometimes it's pretty like intense, but he like he'll take um interrogation footage, like with like you know when they have like the security camera in the corner of an interrogation right. room. There's two guys staring two, at one dude. Yeah, two guys staring at one dude and they're talking with him, and he'll basically like break down like, okay, why is this person here? And not only like it's like not only like why is this person here, but like what are these like um, what what methods are these interrogators employing to like get a confession out of him and stuff? And it's just like they're very entertaining in a like psychological breakdown. Yeah, psychological breakdown kind of. They're way. using ad hominem here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, um, like I used to think that like I thought like the whole good cop bad cop thing was like just like for the movies but it's like no like yeah, sometimes they actually do that yeah like they have someone come in and they'll just be like an absolute dickhead to like, like the, you want to deal with monster yeah yeah N not to say that the person doesn't necessarily always like deserve it like sometimes these people are in there for like very awful things but you got this person coming in there that's like i know what you did like i know what you did like i don't understand how you're gonna how you're gonna cope with this and deal with this like you're, you're, you're screwed man and then someone else comes in and is like you know i can help you do yeah. They talk to me and like we'll we'll figure something out, right. and like it seems to work like really well. 
you know, but I don't know. I, that's what I've been watching a lot recently. I also like video essays too, in a way. You know, people that break down like movies and stuff like that in like very elegant ways. Um, not, I can't think of any specific channels, but I love video essays. Cool. Well, is there uh, anything you would like to add that I haven't asked you about? Um. You know, it's hard, man. I've never, I guess, like, maybe I interview myself, like, every day in a way, but, like, I never really put it to words. I think, like, I don't, you've asked me, like, more about myself and my artwork than I've been asked, like, at all in the past couple of years. So, like, this is, yeah. like, and this has been very fulfilling to get this out there. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Cool. Well, what is something absurd you love slash do? Um... Define absurd, as in like. Well, I could I could tell you something for me. Mm. I love vacuuming. Mm. I see. I get paid. I mean, I, I vacuum cars. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> like. Okay, carrying on. I I like um. Uh, customizing and building like uh, keyboards, like mechanical keyboards, like for computers and stuff. Oh, wow. Um, I like I love I love keyboards. Like, cause now you, you could customize a keyboard. Oh yeah. Oh, I'll show you, man. Don't worry. They get <laughs> they get pretty custom. And then, I um I like I love building computers too. Like I'll build them for friends, and I built them for myself. Like I um, yeah, big big techno nut. I'll just love like tinkering with things like that. Um, maybe it's not like absurd though. I feel like I like your vacuuming answer more than that. Maybe keyboards. Some people all find that absurd, but, uh, uh, I like, hmm. I like going alone to like really, really big public settings sometimes as like an act of like rebellion against my social anxiety. Sometimes I'll do that. Like I'll go to like social events or like, just like to like Broadway just by myself on a whim for no other reason other than just to like be in like around large crowds of people, which I did that, you know, done that for a while. And then like, I wasn't able to do that for a while during COVID and stuff. And, but Recently, it's been happening again. I just, I don't know. I love, like, um, the stimulation of just, like, being in, like, such an actively changing, dynamic environment for no other reason other than just the stimulation. Like, I'm not even really trying to take a photo or listen to conversations. Like, I just I just like biking or walking or skateboarding through, like, large crowds. It's just fun. For like, me. you can absorb the energy without even being a part Yeah, of yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's absurd. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would say I have to agree with you. I will go to a coffee shop. You know, I want to be alone, but I want to also be around people. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's like funny how like I'll I sometimes I like I'll leave my house where I'm alone in my room, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, it's, I could get out of my house because I gotta focus. And I'll leave my isolated room and I'll go to a coffee shop where there's like 20 people there. I'm like, oh yeah, this is better. I can concentrate now. I background noise, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It is the stimulation of others doing something. Yeah, you and that's why, like, I. uh yeah, like, like I live like kind of like in, like, like in the city, so like 
and I did the same thing when I was in Knoxville. And whenever I've like spent nights at my parents' place, like out like in their house, like on the suburb, sometimes I'll go like stir crazy at night because it's so quiet at night. And it's just like almost too placid. Yeah, I'm like I'm like you know I'm like I can hear like ringing in my ears, like and like and like my thoughts are like echoing in my head. I can hear my heartbeat. Like it's like drives me crazy. So it's a little too chill. Yeah, a little too chill. Something something's off, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, cool, dude. Well, thank you for coming over and doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me on, man. I really enjoyed this. Like, I I feel like this was like really fulfilling. Like, I've not had the opportunity to talk like like about my my artwork like this. Awesome. Yeah. Well, dude, happy to do it, and it was a pleasure. Yeah, pleasure.